Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Melody Musgrove and Dr. Kathy Grace with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. We are so excited today to have on Ed's Up um, Stephen Hicks, who's the Assistant State Superintendent uh, for the Division of Early Childhood Development at the Maryland State Department of Education. Welcome to Ed's Up, Stephen. Thanks so much, Melody. Happy to be joining you. It's great to have you. Stephen and I had the opportunity to work together at the U.S. Department of Education, and it was certainly my pleasure to get to know Stephen and the great work that he's been doing in early childhood. So welcome again, Stephen. Thanks so much. So, Stephen, you know, we here at the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning are interested in everyone's childhood and kind of how people arrived at the, the work that they do. So would you tell us kind of what made you decide to focus your life's work on young children? Sure. Um, well, I, I actually am the oldest of eight children, so I have uh, seven younger sisters. And as uh, growing up, I really had an opportunity to watch their development, um, do things to help their learning, uh, reading stories, caring for them. So it seemed kind of a natural fit that I would evolve into this kind of a, a role where I was most interested in young children. I also have been reflecting lately about my own um, upbringing. I, uh, we've been doing a lot of work here in Maryland uh, looking at adverse childhood experiences. Mm. And in that work and working with providers, we come to realize that many of the people that care for children have also had adverse childhood experiences that they're, they're working through as well. And, and I know myself at growing up, I'm a child of divorce. My parents had, um, there was um, you know, a lot of arguing and um, some domestic violence. So I, I know how important it is uh, to have high quality early learning experiences for young children to ameliorate some of those um, effects. So that's kind of what has really, in, in my later life, uh, motivated me to do more to make sure that all children have the opportunity to attend a high quality early learning program or if they're with staying at home with their families, that those families are supported in the uh, learning and development of their child. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that, Stephen, you know, because it, it's so true that high-quality early childhood experiences can make such a huge difference in the lives of children, for all children, but especially for children who are dealing with adverse experiences in their home life. So I uh, really appreciate all that you've done and continue to do to promote those kinds of experiences that really transform the lives of young children. And, and having said that, you know, I know that uh, you've worked a lot in, um, in policy and the policies adopted by our leaders really do have such an impact on the lives of children and families. And you have always pushed for public policies and programs that ensure children get off to a good start. What are some of the things that you've been involved in that you feel are really having a positive impact on children today? Well, I think we're at such an exciting time, um, both nationally and uh, here in Maryland. In Maryland, uh, we have a legislature that is really supportive of early learning and making sure that we they pass laws and the funding opportunities to expand uh, early learning for our youngest uh, students. 
We also have a governor that is committed to it and has signed into law many of the bills that were just passed this last legislative session. And then we have a school board that I work with that is also very committed to early childhood as well as my state superintendent. So with all of that, we've been able to really move forward on an already pretty solid early learning system, but expand it to more ch to reach more children and families. Um, <clears throat> together with Congress, who has expanded the uh, funding for the child care block grant and secured funding for home visiting, I think we have kind of a perfect storm to support children and families at a really critical time. In Maryland, um, coming into this job about six months ago, I discovered that the eligibility rate for uh, child care vouchers, those scholarships and funding that help families um, attend early learning programs um, while they're at work, while the parents are at work, uh, the eligibility level has been really low for a number of years, and the vouchers themselves have been really low in, val in value. So families couldn't qualify to receive those, those kind of supports for childcare, and then even if they could qualify, the buying power of those vouchers was very low. So families were only able to reach one out of 10 child care centers in their community. The governor passed a law that increased those, uh, the value of those to, in his budget to uh, being able to access one in five. So we say they have a value of 20% of the market rate value of child care, but that's still quite low. And the legislature, fortunately, is ramping that up over the next three years after next year to finally 60% of the market rate value which means that families will be able to reach three out of five child care centers in their community um, as far as being able to afford them. You know, for all families, uh, child care affordability is, a, is, is really at a, a crisis point. Families aren't able to find quality child care. Some of them are resorting to unlicensed care where children are not always uh, held safe and they're not always learning during that time. And we know for our most vulnerable children, that period of time of brain development is critical. And if you don't catch them in that window, it's very difficult to, for them to catch up later on. And it's much more costly with retention and special services that are needed. So we've incre we're increasing the voucher rate. I've worked with the school board to uh, change the outdated eligibility levels. So I'm hoping that next year, uh, starting in July, we'll be able to reach more families and they'll have more access to quality early childhood education. In Maryland also, the legislature has seen fit to really put an emphasis on expanding pre-K for all four-year-olds and also for uh, low-income three-year-olds. So our commission, it's called the Kerwin Commission, um, they're working to look at the funding formulas that our school districts get each year and increase that to expand pre-K. Um, so it's kind of a, a multi-layered effect. We're working on young children birth to, uh, birth to three or birth through four, 
uh, with higher quality childcare, getting more of those programs into Excels, which is our quality rating and improvement system through incentives and bonuses for providers, also increasing the value of vouchers for families, making sure that more families are eligible to receive those vouchers, and expanding opportunities for high quality pre-K for four-year-olds and at minimum uh, children who are three from low-income families. Wow, Stephen, that is so exciting to hear about everything that's happening in Maryland and the commitment of your leadership to uh, the well-being of young children. Um, Again, you said so clearly how important it is to start early because it's hard to catch up. I mean, that's the best time, the best investment that we can make is in those first three years of life. It's not important, you know, it's not that it's not important to do so later, but those first few years are so critically important. And as you know, not all states have that kind of commitment that you have there in Maryland, in Mississippi, and in many states, the legislatures are cutting funds for early childhood or not increasing the invest, not uh, increasing access to the vouchers and so forth. So while, um, you know, I'm so impressed with what I hear going on there in Maryland. So congratulations on that work and that kind of leadership that is leading to is going to lead to you know really economic benefits later and um, not just economic benefits, but obviously improved quality of life for a lot of people there um, in Maryland. And um, so I, I know you talked about you know, some of the financing, but what you've worked at the federal level and have seen policy from that. Like, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges facing our nation? And I'd be interested if you have any um, thoughts on the requirement that you know, that parents um, work, the work requirement that's being proposed for uh, for parents to be able to get TANF and other benefits. Yeah, I think we um, we need to, a more compassionate approach. Um, you know, uh, we really need to value um, our youngest children um, in this country. And I think some states have really stepped up when um, we've seen sometimes a decline um, at the national level uh, where there hasn't maybe been a, a real focus on um, early learning as there had in the past um, and also making sure that there's equity. I mean, you, you talked about a moment ago how some states, you know, aren't doing as much and I, I really see that as a problem. I think we need to, to look at all our children in the United States as deserving of um, an equitable opportunity to, uh, to have uh, early learning opportunities and that's just not happening everywhere which doesn't make sense to me. Um, It doesn't make sense that a child in one state um, has uh, no access, um, especially maybe in a rural area, to uh, early childhood programs while a child in another state uh, does. Um, This is all really a matter of equity and making sure that children get the strong start they need to start school um, and then follow up throughout their schooling with quality uh, early elementary school, elementary school, middle school, and high school. So they graduate, they go on to college and career and become uh, productive members of our, of our community. And unless we invest early 
as a nation and um, in our states and local communities, that's just not going to happen. I think some of the biggest challenges that uh, we're facing, though, is even when we do have the political will to expand these opportunities, the uh, compensation for teachers mm -hmm. who this area has been so low for so long that uh, we're not able to attract as high a quality workforce as we'd want to and also not the numbers of folks that we need in early care and education. Um, I'm also a member of the National Association for the Education of Young Children uh, board and uh, that organization, along with several other national organizations who work in the field of early childhood, have been uh, working on an effort called Power to the Profession that has worked to highlight nationally the importance of a well-educated, well, a really effective, and well-compensated workforce that's needed in early childhood. High qualifications, but also the kind of uh, salaries that um, you would expect from high qualifications in any profession. And unless we do that, unless we invest in our workforce with the proper training um, and the proper salaries, we're not going to be able to build the kind of workforce we need. And this is a particular concern um, of mine in Maryland uh, for all those efforts that I told you we were excited about that were happening, but if we can't just expand pre-K and expand early childhood opportunities um, without having a well-qualified and well-compensated workforce. You know, I was just at a, a child care center this morning and I was asking, it's a, it's a private child care center that um, takes vouchers, um, has scholarships from foundations for low-income families, and I asked her if the director, if she took uh, vouchers there or, or, you know, had a lot of kids on scholarship, and she said m many of the kids that are there uh, using that financial assistance are the providers themselves, the teachers mm -hmm. themselves, because they're making such a low, low wage that they actually qualify uh, for these um, public assistance programs. I think, you know, we want to encourage, back to your question about um, the workforce re working requirement, I think we want to encourage families uh, to find jobs, to, to work, um, and then be able to provide the childcare needs that they have. But um, it's, not, it's not easy uh, for many families to find uh, a, a job that really allows them enough um, funding to take care of their families. I mean, I know that unemployment is low, but it's not low for everybody and in every community. And there are many communities where families can't find good-paying jobs to sustain their family. So I think we need to have a balance, a compassionate approach to supporting families and supporting uh, the children that need those those educational opportunities. Yes, I'm so glad you brought up um, the importance of you know the of professionalizing uh, childcare and the people who work in childcare. I think in the past there's been and, and in general there's this 
kind of perception that oh they're babysitters i mean you know you that they really don't have to as long as they keep kids safe and um, make sure that they're fed and their diapers are changed and so forth then this is not really that important and of course now you know we know so much more about the importance of really beginning at birth that children are learning immediately when they enter this world and those opportunities for brain development are so critical to later learning and reading and and other you know developmental milestones and and so those qualifications of people really do matter i, I think it's kind of an indictment on our nation that you know we pay so little to the people that are so critical to the development of our children at the youngest ages exactly also, you mentioned uh, you know the importance of, of having opportunities to work. I, I know you're very familiar with the work of Craig and Sharon Ramey and the Abbasidarian Project in North Carolina. And of course, they found that when the mothers had high, knew that their children were in high quality childcare, it opened up opportunities for them to further their education, to get better jobs, and so there were some really important outcomes for the moms for the children who were participating in Abbasidarian. And, and you mentioned that, and I think that's just so important. But um, So are there other decisions that you're aware of, Stephen, that are under consideration now in Washington or in states that you think families and advocates and others who are really interested in children should be aware of and what the effect of those decisions might be if they're implemented? Well, uh, I mean, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, I'm very excited, excited about the... Um, Increase in the child care block grant yes. uh, that virtually doubled the resources that we have here in Maryland, and we're trying to take innovative approaches to expand quality of our uh, child care programs and after school programs, but also to make sure that we expand um, the. Uh, vouchers and the eligibility for families. You know, um, in, in Maryland, for a long time, uh, fa a family of three could not make $30,000 and qualify for a child care voucher, um, which means that a lot of families uh, went without uh, child care that they needed and that those children needed. So we're hoping to use a lot of those uh, funds to expand the reach of these early childhood opportunities. Um, but we want to make sure that this increase is seen as the new normal. Mm -hmm. uh, for a long time, the child care block grant has not been fully funded, and a reauthorization occurred a couple years ago um, in 2014 with a lot more requirements to ensure the safety of children in those care settings, and, I, and I'm grateful for those, but it does put a burden on states and communities in complying with some of those re new requirements for health and safety, for fingerprinting, background checks, etc., to ensure the safety of our kids. So these extra funds, these additional funds, this increase is extremely helpful in that, and being able to provide more uh, opportunities for early childhood education programs for the, our most needy children is also critical. But we don't want to have this seen as something that's one time. This needs to be the ongoing funding and it still needs to increase going forward in the future. So we need folks to be making sure that 
their representatives understand how critical this investment is and that it needs to continue and not retract um, from where it is at this level. We also need to make sure that our legislators uh, in Washington understand how critical uh, the uh, CHIP program is um, and other services for children and for families in ensuring that they get off to the right start um, in their education and in their learning. Um, it's not just an academic focus that we need uh, to prepare children for success, but it's also making sure that their health and especially dental um, needs needs are met and without these programs many children will suffer and fall behind so we need to make sure that all families have access to adequate health care dental care and as we're seeing um, the need for more mental health services for both families and children we need to make sure that those investments are increased um, I know in Maryland we have a huge issue um, also with um, opiates and we need to address those issues and support those families in getting better so that they can care for their children appropriately and so that families um, don't pass on those addictions to their children. Oh yes that's so important so many I think all states are dealing with the opiate crisis and we certainly are here in Mississippi and oh my goodness we could talk about that for a very long time but we won't we'll save that for another podcast um, and Stephen thank you I just want to thank you for your leadership both at the national level and there in Maryland it's so exciting to hear what's going on and thank you for making your life's work the uh, improvement of, of the lives of young children and our guest today has been Stephen Hicks assistant state superintendent for the division of early childhood development in the Maryland State Department of education. Thank you for being with us on Ed's Up today, Stephen. Thank you, Melody. Take care. We like to end each podcast with a poem. <clears throat> and today's poem is Snowball by Shel Silverstein from FamilyFriendPoems.com. I made myself a snowball as perfect as could be. I thought I'd keep it as a pet and let it sleep with me. I made it some pajamas and a pillow for its head. Then last night it ran away, but first it wet the bed. That is Snowball by Shel Silverstein. Children love poetry and rhyme. Please give your child the gift of poetry. I hope that you will enjoy and encourage people to subscribe to our podcast series. We have a variety of different topics that we'll be covering. And so just remember, if you've got any ideas or something that you'd like to bring to us, please use our website, facebook.com slash Podcast. Ed's Up is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity. 